Hello everybody and welcome once again as we continue on in the study we're doing uh, right now through the book of Romans but uh, in general we've been studying the New Testament uh, we're way over three years into our study of the New Testament um, pretty much working through it a chapter at a time although we've gone sometimes we've done two chapters or a half a chapter but pretty much it's a chapter at a time we've worked through the Gospels together Matthew Mark Luke and John we did the book of Acts out of the book of Acts we have sprung into the letters that Paul wrote and we're trying to cover these letters pretty much in the order that he wrote them we're doing that on purpose to give you context from the missionary journeys as you read the epistles um, so that uh, you understand what was going on that the the letters that we're reading were written to churches that had been recently established at the time they were going through a lot of situations because the church was brand new and so they had a lot of questions and a, and a lot of the people in the churches were brand new in their relationship with God and so there was a lot of issues and stuff that needed to be addressed Paul is writing has been writing to churches that he started now he's writing to the Romans however a church that he didn't start um, and yet had questions as well and, and uh, somehow word got to Paul that there were some things they'd like him to talk about and uh, he's hoping to go and sort of before he can get there he's sending this letter of the things that are happening in the church and it's really a foundational letter for the Christian faith the book of Romans is uh, you know if you were trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian um, you know after you've come to Christ Romans is a really good letter for that the first three chapters as we talked about are very difficult chapters um, Paul in those chapters um, pulls no punches and what he's really trying to do is let everybody know that uh, uh, all, a man, all humanity is, um, is spiritually dead and without hope I mean that's the and so it's a hard set of chapters the idea is not that any of us would come out finger pointing at anybody else but that all of us would understand the fact that we're sinners and in the understanding that we're all sinners we would understand then our need for a savior if you don't know that you're a sinner there's really no reason to know Jesus because you know why however once you figure out that you're a sinner then then the realization that you need a savior is what should take place and that's really what he begins to define as we move forward he's been alluding to it but uh, he's he said in that in chapter 3 also that um, since we're all under the judgment of God because we've all fallen short um, we need Jesus and he also made the point that the law in which Israel had hoped was actually not an aid to salvation but it was a mirror set up to display the sinfulness of human beings that's was the purpose of the law the law was put in place those ten commandments that we've talked about several times put in place so that people would see that they can't it's only ten and they can't do ten um, he could have made it one and then people would have tried to argue that they could keep one but they usually would have, everybody would have broke one um, and we've talked about this too by the time Jesus um, comes and first time out um, the religious community today had taken the ten and made it six hundred and change um, trying to get people into shape and they just couldn't they just they just kept breaking laws the ten was enough and the ten was intended to let you know that you can't live them by yourself you can't do it apart from the help of God you cannot do it in your own strength it's a great set of uh, community rules um, and it's certainly something we should be striving towards and asking God to give us grace to help us to not break them but the reality is we all do and then Jesus when he came he even tightened it up a little bit said if you even think about breaking the ten you broke them so so there's just no there's no wiggle room in there the law doesn't bring salvation it just points you to the fact that you need 
the Savior. And, and uh, you know, Jesus even summarized it for us. It really gets down to this, you know, um, that we need to be loving God, loving our neighbors, ourselves, and, and that's what it's all about, and we, we really can't even do that. Um, I mean, that's pretty simple. We messed that up pretty good, right? So anyway, that's, that's what it looks like. But Paul, though, so that's the tough part of the three chapters. He never gives up hope in, in uh, telling people that Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, because of his atoning sacrifice, salvation is possible, but only in Christ. His blood um, released the flow of life and righteousness which comes to us as a gift. And so that being set up, now he's going to start talking about how the gift is received, how salvation is received. And he highlights in chapter 4 a principle that's uh, been in operation since the beginning of time, but which Israel has pretty much overlooked. And the principle is faith. It's, it's one of the Bible's clearest, uh, and chapter 4 of Romans is one of the Bible's clearest explanations of faith, in particular of what saving faith looks like. And um, he, it, it's a very theological chapter, like most of the book of Romans. And so there are some theological terms that we sort of need to kind of have an understanding of. A lot of times we, we don't hear these terms much and uh, they don't get used in regular conversation very often. And so they're, they're words that I want to keep in front of you. Words like justification uh, is going to come up a lot, um, which means to acquit, to vindicate, or pronounce righteous. Uh, and uh, those are theological terms that are actually borrowed from the Greek courtroom at the time in justification what happens is God clears though have been charged with sins or failures that's all of us we've all been charged but God clears us in the act of justification because of Christ and uh, he makes it clear Paul does that no one can be cleared of those accusations or charges of sin based on their efforts to keep the law that's been just laid out there okay so the the declaring of righteousness only happens on the basis of faith Another concept we were just talking about it, that the guys are teaching on earlier is the idea of grace. Um, it's, a, it's a dominant theme in the New Testament, but it's rooted in the Old Testament. Uh, and they, those roots are sunk deep into the compassionate and caring nature of God, um, who can be appealed to for mercy, um, as we see throughout the scripture. And uh, grace is really a pivotal theological term for us uh, in the New Testament. Um, it's... It, uh, uh, it affirms a radical view of relationship with God. Remember, coming out of the Old Testament, they had pretty much lost the concept of relationship with God. It was just about trying to do these rules and regulations to the point where they couldn't say God's name. Um, they, they couldn't do a lot of things. When Jesus comes, he does all of that. He goes, Look, he's, he's your daddy. He's you, you, Papa Abba. You, you need to know that you can relate with God. He wants to be in relationship with you. And he begins to change a lot of the stuff that had happened to an established religious community that had lost the idea of God's grace and of his mercy and of his love and were very much just trying to make themselves right by the law and they couldn't do it. It wouldn't work. So grace is this, this amazing action of God, if you can think of it, where he kind of, he kind of stoops and lifts us up. Not because we earn it or deserve it, but because of his great sacrificial love for us. So you need to have that picture of, of grace. Another word um, is reconciled. Again, that's not a word that you probably use a lot. It happens, but not a lot. Very important word. It, it, it implies the restoration of relationship. 
a return of harmony that once existed between God and human beings. And uh, that point is that, that conversion, coming to Christ, brings a, a change of position in our relationship with God and, uh, and, and makes us right with Him again, makes us new. And, and so uh, our inner sort of idea of who we are and, and what, what's going on around us um, comes back into harmony then with the divine reality of who God is and, and what He's done and is doing in our lives. Uh, Romans 5.11, when we look at that, it says, We were once enemies of God, now rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's kind of where we're at as of this moment. And um, Romans 4 then, that's the intro to Romans 4. That was a pretty big intro, really. <laughs> Let's just close. No, okay, Romans 4, verses 1, 25 verses. I'll read them to you there in the bulletins. You can open your Bibles if you have them to Romans 4. I'm reading out of the NIV. Whatever translation you have will be just fine. Verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact... Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom, God's cred to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness it comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless, because law brings wrath. And where there's no law, there's no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And blessed be the word of God. Lord. Fascinating chapter. 
uh, scripture. There's a lot going on there, but let me sort of keep my discussions into the idea of justification and what that means today. So, verses 1 through 8. Paul begins the explanation that um, it's faith that justified Abraham and David. And I like that Paul picks Abraham and David. Do you know why? If you ever read about their exploit, a couple of pretty significant sinners. Just like us. Just not, not always on top of things. Um, you could read a list of their exploits and you'd really be shocked at the things they, they did in, in, uh, in their lives. You know, Abraham uh, a couple of times gave his wife over to some guys because he was afraid he might get killed. And just to take her, she's my sister, which was a half-truth because she was like a half, some, somewhere down the line, sister. You can have her. And then they'd find out that she was his wife and there would be a big thing. Why'd you, t- why'd you lie to us? And I thought you might kill me. It might have been true, but nonetheless. Um, at one point, and he's got faith in these promises, but at one point, Sarah's faith gets a little weak and she goes to him and, and says, yeah, I don't think I'm going to have a baby uh, anymore. I'm kind of old. Why don't you take my handmaiden? And, uh, you know, I always get funny about that whole thing. Because that, uh, really what Sarah was looking for was a little word of, no, it's going to be okay, honey. And, uh, and she offers him Hagar, and he goes, well, if that's what you really want, honey, well, then okay. And, uh, <laughs> oh, okay, I'll do anything to make you happy. <laughs> and it just messes up again. That's a, and that's a whole other huge problem if you go and look at the offspring of Hagar and everything. And Anyway, but let's not go there. And then David, you know, um, David's... The whole Bathsheba thing, and uh, you know, if you don't know that story, and he should have gone off to war, and he didn't. He stayed home, and he got he got a little distracted. He was a little bored, and he he saw Bathsheba taking a shower, and he goes, "Who's she?" And it's somebody's wife, and he goes, "I don't care, bring her to me anyway." And he gets her pregnant, and then he brings the husband back so that the husband would sleep with her, so he doesn't know, and the husband's really honorable and won't, while all the men are off to war, and so David has to have him killed. That's David. Now these are the guys we're talking about here. Can you imagine how happy they are that this whole deal is credited to them? Righteousness is credited to them, not by their actions, but their faith in God. And yet, see, that's what we got to be thankful for. Because once you've sinned, you've blown it, and everybody here is a sinner. Still. You know, hopefully not as blatantly as we once were, but still happens. Because, you know, Jesus made that thing. Even thinking about doing it, you're still a mess. And, And all of us have that issue. So... Um, it wasn't about what they did or didn't do to please God. God's righteousness was credited to do them. Credited. I said too many it's in that. I apologize. Was credited. Now I don't know how to say the word. To them because of who he is and because of their faith in him. In Acts 13, 38 and 39. It says, uh, the writer Luke says this. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. That's pretty good stuff right there. That's Acts 13, 38 and 39. Through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins are proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything that you could not be justified from by the law of Moses, which is everything. But in Christ, you can be. So justification then is God's act of removing the guilt and penalty of sin while at the same time declaring a sinner righteous through Christ's atoning sacrifice. In justification, righteousness from God is credited to the sinner's account through faith alone without works. 
That's what justification is all about. Now in verses 9 through 17, Paul goes on then to make the case that justification is available to everyone, both to the Jew and to the Gentile, to the circumcised and the uncircumcised. That's what he's talking about there. Because Abraham was counted righteous before he was circumcised. And so Paul says then that Abraham is the father of all who believe, circumcised and uncircumcised alike, because he was, it was, his faith, it was all credited to righteousness to him, justification, before circumcision. And so because of that, he, he encompasses then in that both groups, all humanity. It's a universal principle that applies to all of humanity's relationship with God. It's all possible for us to be reconciled, reconciled and restored to God by faith in Christ. Romans 4, 18 through 24, there's this other neat connection that, that I really like um, in this process between what happens to Abraham and Sarah and, and the hope in, that we have in the resurrection. And Paul's making the point. I want to make sure you're connected with you. When God tells Abraham and Sarah they're going to have a son, it was a promise that life would spring from bodies of those who were dead as far as childbearing was concerned. And Abraham faced this fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, Scripture says, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. But he did not waver through unbelief. He believed the promise God had given. And this faith was credited to him as that righteousness his actions showed he did not possess. So you need to get that part, all right? Like us, we believe that the promise of life springing from death is the good news of Jesus. He died for our sins and was raised for our justification. And as we are fully persuaded that God has power to do what he promised, that's what it says in Romans 4.21, there is a righteousness we do not possess credited to our account. That's how that happens. That's what justification is. That righteousness that we do not possess in our works, we don't have it, is credited to our account because we believe in the good news of Jesus Christ that he defeated death and rose again and is coming back for us. That's how that happens. That's what you're doing when you believe. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's what you're doing. That's what gets you in right standing with God. That's what takes place. That, that whole thing right there comes from believing in the fact that God said, this is how it's going to be, and he did it, and we believe that he did it, and he's coming back for us. Credit to our account, righteousness. And then the last verse in Romans 4.25. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, this exchange takes place. We give him our sins, and he forgives us and makes us right with God. I don't know how, simple, how much simpler to make it. That's what happens. That's the exchange. It's a, and, and seriously, there is no better deal in the universe. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says it this way, and this is our 5.21 verse. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the exchange. We give him our sin. He gives us life in God forever. There's, can you imagine that there's, that's the deal. That's the, that's the, the amazing good news of, of Jesus. That's, the, that's what it's all about. And yet people will struggle with this and a lot of people will reject it because they think they're having more fun in the, in the midst of their sin. Can you, um, uh, holy God has made this thing possible where in Christ you can come and give all the garbage in your life, every horrible thing that you've ever done, every horrible thing has ever happened to you and you give it to him 
and he forgives you and makes you right with him forever. That's the deal. That's, that's the, the basis of it all. That's, that's what it comes down to. It's that concept that we need to be aware of. And it's that concept that Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 4. There's nothing we can do to earn it. It's only through Christ can we be made right in God's eyes. Like I said, what a deal it is for us. Best deal in the universe. If you've never done it, I, I can't see anymore who's here, but uh, um, do it. It's, that's, it's just, you just come to Christ and say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I've blown it. I've sinned. I'm broken like everybody else. Will you forgive me? And he does. And then, Jesus, will you be the Lord and Savior of my life? Will you come into my heart, into my life? And he will. And the exchange takes place. He takes all the mess and gives you life. If you've never done it, do it tonight. Best thing you'll ever do. Best decision you'll ever make. There's nothing like it. So, I think we'll end with that. Since there's sort of stunned silence, it's probably a good time to stop. If you're watching my video or on television, thank you so much for watching. Uh, we appreciate you spending your valuable time with us. We'll be back here in the next few days with another message. We hope you'll check it out. But uh, we... Uh, we we'll pray that you have a great evening. If you need anything, go to our website at keysvineyard.com. Send us a request.